uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Indictment. No, like, uh, dang, what am I trying to say? Like you, uh, evidentiary support. I'm, I'm throwing out <laughs> legally blonde. <laughs> Welcome to Texas 1031. We're your hosts, Cassie and Hannah, guys. And uh, Texas just 1031 is a police code for crime in progress. Um, and as you guys can probably guess, we cover crimes and mainly murder in Texas. Yay. Mm. If you guys want to visit our website, it's Texas1031podcast.com. You'll find links to all of our social media. Uh, all the places you can listen to us. Um, I feel like at some point we don't have to say this stuff anymore, but yeah. <laughs> at the same time, you just never know. Um, go to the website. Yeah, go to the website. No dashes, no spaces, no capitalizations, or numbers just all spelled out. If you're on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Seriously, though, please do that because please. it's been a minute since we've gotten one. The last one we got, I think, I think we always say, like, thank you for all the whatevers, mm-hmm. but I think the last one we got was good, but it was also from, like, our friend. So, yeah. I don't know. Everyone else is like getting all cool with the ratings and the reviews. So we feel like we're not doing the best yeah. we can or a good job. I don't know. We're trying our hardest. Or is it y'all's fault? It could be. Don't be just. Mm, it's so easy. Don't even. You don't have to type anything out. Like just. You can just put review a, it. Put, a, put number one. Just put a number one and we'll know that you think we're number one. Yes, exactly. That's what we're going to take those one stars as. Yeah. <laughs> or no, no, no. I meant like in the review part when you can type oh. something in. Put a number one. Because, okay. Like, I thought you were advocating for bad reviews. Oh, no. Just then I guess put a number five. Laziness. Or yes. whatever. But uh, every episode, no matter if you review or not, we're still going to be here and we're going to bring you two murder cases. So tonight we have one in Conroe and the other is in Corsicana. Corsicana. All right. The <laughs> the R, the S, and the I all came together yeah, to make one little it's cursive. swoopy. Yeah, that's that's cursive. Yeah. That's how adults write, Cassie. <laughs> Not this one. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. What is this? Episode 15? 17. Is it really? Yeah. I should know that because I just went on Twitter and uploaded each individual episode link with oh, tags wow. and stuff. Dang. I did that instead of finishing my story. So don't be proud of me. Yeah, and I don't know. Did I didn't get any on Facebook. Did you get any <laughs> suggestions for Patreon on Insta or anything? No. All right, guys. So we're not going to give you cool shit yet. No. Guess we're not at that point. We're not ready for it. I'm not mad about it. I just... It's fine. Yeah, I've it's heard fine. some podcasts that you just are like, hey, if you want to donate money to us, here's our PayPal. Or like True Crime Garage, they're like, it's the beer fund, which, yeah, I yeah, think they do spend I like that money that. on the beer. But yeah. like also, it's basically a way of like not having to make shit for their listeners. Yeah. Essentially. I don't know. We can, we can rework we'll it. it I mean, our first offer was to give you guys free stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Well, not technically not free, but to reward you guys for rewarding us. But it's okay. You all seem to be as lazy as I am, which I can appreciate and understand. Well, we can, I guess. I don't know. We can we can talk about what we want to do over spring break. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So if you guys don't want to do the Patreon shit, 
just to let you know, <laughs> we do have cool stuff planned here yes. in the few next future few whatever. In the upcoming weeks, we're going to be trying to get some topics covered, interviews mm-hmm. done, um, special things, special recordings for everyone over yeah. spring break while we have time. Yeah. But yeah, I'm excited. Hannah had some really great ideas that I'm going to help piggyback on too and try to contribute. <laughs> no, it'll be good. We It will be good. It'll be we if we're able to pull this shit off, it'll be cool. To to give a little more detail, I guess we kind of partnered with a lady to, uh, who has like a true crime blog. We're going to kind of do some cross promotion with her. Um, there's some professors, law professors, potential inmates, potential victims, things like that, that we who we're going to try and do our best and talk to. It's not just like we knock on their door and say, hey, want to be on a podcast? We have to go through the proper channels of yes. things and stuff. And we have to be very sensitive with some yeah. of these people and topics. And hopefully we don't step on toes for, no. yeah, for like our first time. Hopefully we're able to be sensitive and nice and yeah. kind. I think we will be, but... I don't know. Brennan was like, "Are what, you guys aren't interviewers? Like, what do you?" Because I, I mentioned one, one of our ideas, the one where I would I literally have to go knock yeah, on yeah, a door, yeah. and he was like, mm, "That's kind of unsafe. Are you? I don't know. Like, w- and what do you kinda kind of expect from them?" And I was like, "I mean, it we don't know. Hurt. We no. yeah, we we don't know. We're just kind of trying to figure out." And he was like, "All right, well, be careful. <laughs> you know, what I mean, Ever you Brennan, might... ugh, get your own podcast. He is so." annoyed he was like i don't like the way you talk about me on your podcast and i was like then don't be a d-bag yeah i was like well it's cut a lot like i do gush about you but yeah. we the, the other stuff is funnier yeah. so Who you're fine <laughs> male hate uh okay any recommendation nope i'm gonna let this is your segment all right um <laughs> i'm hungover it's so bad it was my birthday not well i guess yesterday whatever I feel extra 29 right now. I've been throwing up all day long. But thank you to everyone who wished me a happy birthday on our social media. Y'all are amazing. Thank you, regardless. And then I wanted to show you this, our lovely listener, Jill. Thanks, Jill. How do you say your last name? We shouldn't say it on the podcast. I'll cut it out. It's fine. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, she was the only one who, she's posted on our wall before. She might be the one that suggested the story I'm doing tonight. Okay. So. We love Jill. Hey, if you're an active listener, we will call you out on social media and you'll get that warm, fuzzy feeling. Like, yeah. Plus, if you do things, if you're on, if you put your real name on social media, then it's your fault. Yes. If you get stalked. Yeah. Um, so I, before I got hungover and really tired, I'm, I made an effort to make this a little fun little moment of interesting information about my birthday. Yeah. Um, so besides the 10 teenagers that are like YouTube stars that share my birthday, who I don't know any of them are, um, I always brag about this fact that the only cool person to have the same birthday as myself is Johnny Cash. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, my horoscope was your creativity is at an all time high today, Pisces. You're inspired to embark on some long term creative projects, blah, 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 blah. What a, whatever it is you've been dreaming of doing, do it now. So I took that in a very positive sense of like the podcast school yeah. existing. You literally put all that stuff out into the universe. Yeah. Yay. Uh, the creepy part of this random like horoscope thing was it gave you a brief psychological profile of your past life. I don't like that. That sounds it scary. Was cool. <laughs> so it said you had a natural talent of psychology. You knew how to use the opportunities life brought you in the field. You were cold blooded and calm in any situation. 
cool. I can change my mind. I love that. Yeah. And then lessons your past life brought to you, uh, brought to the present are you see the timid, lonely, and the self-confident people everywhere. In turn, you want to perfect these tendencies within yourself and then help others with their mental and emotional imperfections as well. Like, hello, that's all like what well, I love crazy people. We yes. All, that's all we do in this podcast is talk about how we love them. Oh. Yeah. Cool. Right? So past life you was as cool as current life you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Recommendations. What do you got? I have a few. Go for it. Go for, for it first. What? Mm, I started watching Dexter again. Oh. Like, like for the first Well, kind of for the first time. I only watched like halfway through the first season the first time I tried to watch it. Then I broke up with that guy. Ugh. So I'm watching it again. And broke up with that guy. Yeah, I was dating. Oh, who I, owned the. the okay. Yeah, yeah, who owned the DVDs, literally. Because well, that was back then. Hey, you see my mom's DVD collection. Yeah. Which my mom always says that I make fun of her so bad on the podcast, too. She's like, You're so mean about me. And you're, you're. Like, oh, oh, no. I guess I should stop that. We're self deprecating to ourselves, and then we project it onto the people we love most. Or is she too sensitive? Brennan, too. Mm okay yeah sorry no yeah i just i now that i know more about true crime and all of that like it's it's interesting to watch so if you haven't watched it i mean it's possible god damn it i never have good recommendations no you do i mean it's fine i literally can't think of anything else i did this week i started watching real housewives of beverly hills oh that's amazing already on season four that's so good (laughs) more lisa vanderpump that's what everyone needs forever and always yeah, so um, I have nothing. So please take it away. So, <laughs> the cultured one. Uh, shut up. I was listening to Generation Y yet again, and one of the hosts, Aaron, he like casually, like super casually slipped it in that he was going to be one of the people on, you know, the, like all the shows out there always have like commentators. Like if it's a dramatization, they always have someone oh, like yeah. who's in the field or who... You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. That like, and they did this and da 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 da. Yeah, like and the people that don't really need to be there, but right. they also add some yeah. supplementary yeah, yeah, info. Yeah, exactly. So the show was called A Crime to Remember. They do a lot of like vintagey, like from the 20s or 30s yeah. or 40s, whatever. And he was like, I'm going to be on this show. And I kind of forgot about it for a minute. And I didn't have anything to watch the other day. So I found it, turned it on. And before he even popped up, like, I was waiting for him. Like, I was all excited. Mm-hmm. Guess who showed up on the show as, like, the second commentator? Fucking Karen Kilgariff. And I was like, stop. This is hilarious. I was That's like, do I have so the wrong cool. episode? Like, she didn't brag about it because, like, she's cool as shit. So why would she? No, but... she's been on the Ellen. She does everything. So she doesn't she's have to brag the... oh, anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. She worked, she worked on the Ellen show. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought you meant, like, she was, like, a guest recently. I was like, how did I miss that? <laughs> Two podcasts that I do want to recommend. Besides that little one recommendation sort of story thing, Mind of a Murderer with Dr. Michelle Ward. I found this one. It's actually super disappointing because it's only like six episodes and it was from 2015. Nothing else came from it and I'm pissed. And she honestly never really gets to the point of her whole topic. But it's good if you guys want to go for it. (laughs) If you guys want to go listen to a good psychological kind of figuring out why people kill people thing. That is cool. Yeah. And then on a lighter podcast note, still about murder, the podcast Small Town Murder is absolutely fucking hilarious. I started listening to it a while ago, got back into it. It is the funniest shit you'll ever listen to in your life, but it's really informative. Lots of good info. Always good stories, like very accurate. But these guys are literally the funniest people on the planet. So, And I also thought of a recommendation. Oh, okay. You always think of one like lately. I do. And it's usually something like this. (laughs) 
go vote. Mm. <laughs> so right now the primaries are happening for the midterms. Is it just Houston or is it everywhere? It's Texas. Okay. Texas, Houston, everywhere. So I went in thinking that I was voting in the midterm elections. So mm-hmm. my plan was to go straight ticket. Mm-hmm. Not in the primaries, which mm-hmm. if I had thought about it for more than five seconds, I would have realized this. So I knew the governor I wanted to vote for. I knew the senator I wanted to vote for. I didn't look up anything else. And I go into the room. I go into the little booth. And there's like three pages of a million names. Oh, no. Yeah. And I and like Brennan oh, went and voted with me. And I had like hyped him up and prepared him. And I was basically like this is who you and I are voting for. Like this, because he doesn't know. He doesn't care. Right. So I was like, these people represent our viewpoints. And he took way longer than I did because he actually went through and like read some of these things. He's thinking about it. He's doubting me. And I did not want to just randomly pick names. So pro tip from a not so pro, like I like to pretend that I'm all politically apt, but look just looks shit up i didn't even look up the congress member i wanted to vote for basically the primaries if you don't know you probably do but just in case the primaries are what whittled down the candidates for certain you know races so yeah there were about six people for the senate race and so this will whittle them down to so one exactly oh, yeah okay, one or two it, something it, okay. like that so looks more stuff up and also go vote because you can go vote in any voting precinct in your county at all so if you are driving on your way home from work and you have some free time and you happen to there's a voting thing, a thing next to you. Yeah, like You'll you see a, a bunch sticker. of things. You yeah, will get, a, get sticker. a sticker. Yeah, so that's my recommendation. Oh, Just go vote because, as I mean, if you're paying any sort of attention at all to what's going on in this country right now, um, please vote. Just right. please vote. <laughs> um, do you want to start? Yeah. Do you have anything else to say? I don't think so. Random recommendations you thought of? That I thought of two, but then I got distracted by the voting oh. one, so I can't remember the other one. It won't. It's gone forever, I bet. Well, if it pops back up, just interrupt. It's fine. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, episode 17. So I tossed around the idea of trying to find a murder in 1989, my birth year, ah. uh, but nothing really came up, and so I was like, okay, my science Pisces, maybe I can find, like, a water-related murder, but again, nothing very interesting rose. So um, everything was linking to me to this murder um, of a guy named Mark Kilroy, which is pretty famous. He was like a UT Austin student who was killed in Mexico. Um, So everything, if you type in like 1989 murder Texas, that pops up. It's an interesting case, but uh, it's not in Texas. Happened in Mexico. Yep. Um, And then I thought, okay, why don't I just try and find a murder of a girl named Hannah? So that was kind of gross. I don't know why I did that, but it helped me find one. So, but when I did that, all these articles popped up about this pretty famous woman named Hannah Overton. Have you ever heard about her? I don't think so. Okay. She, I've listened to so many things about her and evidently some new shit has come up in the news about her. She supposedly tried to kill her, like, uh, maybe like her adopted son or her foster son or some sort of son with like salt poisoning or something like that but then it came back like in the news well i don't want to spoil it for you guys so go look it up yeah that's yeah. interesting yeah <laughs> um so then the other articles that were thrown in there when i searched about murders or hannah for a girl named hannah were um the texas campsite murders mm. which they're really cool or it's cool it's still kind of an ongoing thing right now ish a couple years ago i guess so if you don't know anything about that again look it up 
In the midst of all of these links, there was one that said, suspect charged with Hannah Mack's murder. Ooh, that so, sounds familiar. Really? God, every time you always tell me that. Well, and I always feel like, oh, man, I'm It could just because, be because I've done a lot of Facebook yeah, creeping yeah. in my day, and so I could be pulling. Perhaps. True. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is the one I ended up choosing. Um, I don't know if it's really well known. Maybe Cassie knows about it. Maybe once I get into it, it'll... Um, I don't know, strike a chord or remember, whatever. Um, I hope it's not very popular because it's pretty terrible. Yeah, and so. we like doing obscure crimes, too. But. I'm so scared. She warned me about this, like, yeah. how much it affected her. And it probably affects you more that it's, like, because same name. name. Yep. It was... I think that was kind of the main thing. Just like reading it over and over again. I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, All right. So I'll just get started. So Mm -hmm. the exact place of Hannah Mack's murder is a little unclear to me. Some articles say it happened in Navarro Mills or it happened in Corsicana. So Navarro Mills is only like 20 minutes away from Corsicana. So I'm assuming it's just kind of like suburb to the city, essentially. Um, But this area is well known for Navarro Mills Lake, which is a central source of entertainment for people living there. And on September 9th, 2007, 19-year-old Sean Arinder would go to this lake with his pregnant girlfriend, spend the afternoon swimming with uh, her and his friends before heading into town to buy some pot later in the evening. Um, Sean supposedly, according to him, returns home, has sex with his girlfriend, and then goes out to smoke the pot he had purchased earlier. He begins to walk down the street and runs into an old friend, 32-year-old Kevin Anders. Kevin was outside his home where he lived with his girlfriend, Dana Mack. Uh, The two guys spend almost two hours talking. Uh, The reason for such a lengthy conversation, you ask? Well, it was because the two were catching up on lost time since they hadn't been in contact since meeting two years prior in 2005 while they were both in county jail together. There it is. Yep. The best foundation for a friendship, if you ask me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, The conversation kind of bounced around from topic to topic. They spoke about Sean's most recent stint in prison for burglary. But then I also read that it was for uh, tampering with evidence or physical evidence. So I'm kind of confused on that one. But anyway, he could have burglarized evidence to take it away from a crime. And that's I don't know. Everything kept saying burglary. But when I looked up his like actual listing on the offender search on the Texas Department for Criminal Justice, it said like uh, tampering with physical evidence. Interesting. So, whatever. Um, had a life. <clears throat> either or of which he was out on parole for um, at the time that they started hanging out at uh, Kevin's house. Um, but, of course, they soon landed on the oh-so-popular male discussion of sex. <laughs> Kevin allegedly asked Sean if he had ever wanted to make uh, pornography or to star in any, you know, porn videos, homemade, whatever. Normal conversation. Right. Um, Sean also said that Kevin casually brought up the fact that he lived with three stepdaughters and or quote stepdaughters uh and or quote unquote whatever and they were quote cute one of which was six-year-old hannah mack and give me one i'm getting the guy's names confused kevin is the 32 year old Mm -hmm. okay and sean is the 19 year old so i took that sentence kind of as like it could be said differently in context you could just be like yeah i live with you know i these are my stepdaughters they're little cuties whatever you know Mm -hmm. what i mean it it could all be in context i don't know it could it's not a crime to say that your girlfriend's kids are cute it doesn't mean sexually but 
it could yeah if you yeah if you lead into that from a conversation about pornography yeah yeah, i think that's not defamatory for us to con yeah i don't know if it was before or after but regardless it was still i think his point was that it was brought up in a negative connotation so um they continued to smoke and hang outside and that's when kevin offered sean something to drink kevin went inside came back out and he walked out with hannah who was holding a can of coke Hannah stayed outside with the two men while they continued to hang out, smoke, and talk. Uh, She supposedly had fallen asleep on some steps leading into the home. I thought this was really weird because um, it's like if she wanted to go back inside, but they, like, didn't want her or they, like, forced her to stay out there. So she just fell asleep where she could. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they locked her out or something. Little kid just, like, how old is she again? Six. Little kid just literally, like, I'm sleeping. Right. Sleep and so like, I feel like having her stay there like makes the situation like an obvious, not premeditated, but like it was on purpose to keep her there. Why don't you just let her go back inside? Why don't you just pull up a fucking chair and let her sit down if she really wants to be out there with you? Right. Why does it have to be weird? Maybe they're like, no, stay away from our marijuana or whatever. But it was mm-hmm. like one in the morning. Anyways, um, Sean then claims at some point Kevin mumbled something to Hannah who said, quote, no, it hurts. And when Sean turned around, he saw that Kevin had his hands in her underwear and she began to scream. Sean says, quote, she screamed or made a loud noise and Kevin reached up and grabbed her by the throat, jumped up and told me to come on before somebody sees us. And we all went over to the garage. Now, I saw pictures of the house and the garage. There's a point on the 911 phone call where Kevin says that in the barn, um, and we'll get to that, but it, it was very big. It was off, off kind of in the distance. The separated garage. Right. Okay. Yeah. It was, uh, evidently something said that it housed like a above ground pool type thing, like a big outside pool okay. that you can put out. Like if you don't have an underground one, obviously. Mm. Um, anyway, so that's, it's not just off the side of the house. It was kind of a distance away basically. Right. Okay. Um, so when asked why he didn't stop Kevin, Sean says, quote, I don't know. When I seen it happening, it was like, I didn't know. It was like a short circuit. I didn't know what to do. It seemed more like a dream than something that was going on. Uh, Sean alleges that Kevin choked Hannah until she was unconscious, placed her on a couch in the garage, and then began to coerce Sean into molesting her with him. Yeah. Sean says, quote, when I got to the garage, Kevin said, uh, it's okay. She does this all the time. Oh, and that she just wanted to have sex all the time. I put in all caps. <laughs> so I guess in his mind, even though she was knocked out, and let alone six years old, it didn't matter since Hannah's father figure gave the go-ahead on right. her rape. And I say rape because of the fact that it's one, rape. every single article kept saying assault or molestation. And I hate the word molestation. I it know. is rape. And <laughs> while like it's it's true, like this is they're using correct law jargon yes, if you will absolutely but i just find it frustrating because my second reason which is number two because i truly believe that due to her size her <laughs> rape was only default turned into molestation or assault because they it wouldn't you know what i'm saying it's not gonna she's fit a she's a child. child right Aww, little baby so it just turns into you know digital or oral or i don't know how you want to put that so it's just it's fucking annoying because i get i get it but I don't. Don't let your stupid. boyfriends move in with you if you have children. I'm just going to say that now. 
regardless, Hannah woke up. No, baby. Began struggling once again, like in the middle of all of this. Can you fucking imagine? She's Um, so brave. I know. Like, um, began struggling once again, like I said, tried to scream for help. This is when Sean says that Kevin began choking her like before until they both believed she was dead. Uh, This is when the situation takes another turn for the worse. According to Sean, both men at that moment decided to tie a cord around Hannah's neck and hang her from the rafters in the garage. Sean admits to tying the knot around her neck, and while Kevin tied the other end to the beam, Sean held up her body. He said that as soon as she was sufficiently tied, he was the one who let her body drop. He was asked if he looked at Hannah's body after they hanged her, and he said he couldn't look at her face, only at her feet. Fucking coward. Yeah. Um, the two then make it look like the house had been burglarized. Uh, and under the advisement of Kevin, they ceased communication to avoid suspicion after an investigation was done. It will be determined that Hannah's cause of death was asphyxiation. Um, to me, in what world does someone decide to burglarize a home and then hang a little girl from the ceiling because like because she was just a witness do you know what i'm saying right. like, like you want to get out quickly that's like, stupid like no. their reason for burglarizing like what that was the dumbest idea in my yes. mind because yeah. i'll get to it later on but like i just want to emphasize like the rest of the family was in the house okay like there was no wouldn't you wake people up mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there's no point of just k- killing this one girl because she supposedly maybe witnessed this burglary like yeah fuck that. and killing dumb. her in such a like outlandish yeah oh yeah. man um morons. <laughs> sean says he went home and ironically had to get ready to go to waxahachie for a meeting with his parole officer huh. uh hannah's half nude body was still hanging in the garage that morning by uh and she was found by her mother oh. and uh ironically enough um it was kevin who made the 911 phone call and I read the transcript. It's pretty lengthy, but it is weird. There's weird stuff going on. The other children are in the background oh saying things. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it's really, it's re- really strange. It gives you kind of an insight to things that might have happened earlier in the night, why she was even awake. It was very weird. You could mm-hmm. hear one of the daughters saying, like, you know she was scared. Why did you make her sleep out there? Like, her mom says she found her on the couch. She had last seen her on the couch inside the house around one something asleep and that was the last time she saw her alive and but you hear the other daughters saying like i don't know it just seemed mm. it was fishy but yeah we'll get to it um <clears throat> one report said that sean was arrested two days later on a burglary and possession charge but another says three weeks later so um that was weird but anyway regardless kevin was also arrested shortly after for possession of child pornography oh wonder how Mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. no just (laughs) um i'll bring i'll talk about it yeah i'm Um, so befuzzled right now um i'm not sure of the exact investigation process i don't know if dana told the police to look into sean and kevin i don't even know if dana knew that sean was there that night um, if they arrested Sean two days later on this burglary and possession charge just to hold him maybe while they got enough evidence to arrest him on her murder, then I would assume that Dana and Kevin said something to the police, but that really doesn't explain the burglary and possession charge. Like, it has to be something legit to, like, hold you, you know what I mean? Right. So, I don't know. It's confusing. But um, blah, blah, blah. I did read that when Sean was interviewed, he had his head on the table in front of him crying during his questioning. So... I don't know what to think of that. 
But I mean, maybe he didn't have it in his like plans to be a pedophile, rapist, murderer. But you know, he still did it. Yeah, we're gonna talk about it. (laughs) Uh, During the investigation, they were able to arrest Kevin, like I said earlier, um, because they searched the computer in the home. So nobody outed Kevin. He just did it to himself. Um, basically, when their DNA, however, was cross-matched with the evidence left on Hannah's clothing, it only came back matching Sean. Whoa, that's, oh, DNA is so crazy. Um, an article also mentioned that they found blood on a knife in the kitchen that matched Sean as well, but that wasn't mentioned in any other, other articles, so I don't know if that was true or not. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. It was just kind of random. So... Sean only admitted to having partial responsibility in the crimes and continued to confirm that Kevin was also to blame. Unfortunately, his testimony alone would never be enough to charge Kevin as well. Ever. To this day. Because there's no physical DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, they don't mention what kind of DNA was found on her clothes, nor do they mention if anything else of Sean's was found on her or in the garage. I find that strange because I feel like that Kevin could have just gone to the garage after Sean left and like wiped off shit or got rid of his personal evidence. I don't know. You can't just like go up to her skin and wipe off all your stuff and leave Sean's. Right. So I don't really understand all that. But I'm assuming it was like probably sweat or something on her shirt Mm -hmm. or excuse me. um, I, I, I don't know. Whatever. Um, I'll go into their charges and trials now. So good news is, like I said a second ago, Kevin was arrested for child pornography and a jury found Kevin guilty of 10 counts of possession of child pornography. Um, The judge, uh, District Judge James Lago Marcino, followed that up with 10 10 10-year sentences to be served consecutively. Good for him. Right. Um, possession of child pornography is a third degree felony with punishments ranging from two to 10 years in prison and a $10,000 fine for each count. Uh, he did receive credit for time served. Um, but since his arrest in September, 2007, it left him with 98 years and four months left to serve. Possibility of parole? Yes. We'll go into it. Of course. <laughs> During the sentencing portion of his tri- <laughs> trial, uh, Kevin took the stand to say that he didn't do the crime for which he was convicted of and blamed Dana for downloading the child pornography on the computer. Oh, really? Right. Okay. Yeah, women are historically into that right, shit. Right, right, yeah. Uh, noted in my favorite things, his appeal documents. I'm going to read it. So, Detective Hank Bailey testified that the computer was located on a desk in the main living area on the first floor of the house. He found two crumpled pieces of paper in one of the desk drawers, which were printouts listing numerous pornographic websites, including references to, quote, underage and, quote, preteen illegal child pornography. Disgusting. He also found another sheet of paper with several handwritten URLs for websites, including one which appeared to involve child pornography. Kevin's girlfriend, Dana, uh, testified that this was his handwriting. His fingerprint was also found on the fucking sheet of paper. Okay. Uh, Detective Bailey (laughs) seized the computer. So he passed it down to Lieutenant uh, James McKay of um, the Navarro County Sheriff's Department. Um, He was the evidence custodian. McKay then took the computer to Waco and delivered it to Chris Kingray, a forensic analyst, 
Chris Kingray testified that the computer had two user-created accounts. One was under owner and one was under kids. The designated username for the owner was Kevin. The kids account held parental controls which restricted access to websites deemed appropriate for children 12 or younger. If someone use if someone using this restricted account tried to access inappropriate material, it would be blocked and an email would be sent to the owner account mm-hmm. via an AOL account name that was Kevin Anders TX. Obviously. So Kingray testified that someone using this AOL account ran an internet search using the term, quote, preteen child porn. Like, this guy isn't, he's he's stupid. Yeah. Fucking stupid. Like, he was accidentally on the wrong computer account and, whoopsie. When the computer was seized, Kevin shared a home, well, this is part of the, uh, I'm not trying to, like, reiterate, I'm just reading literally what the appeal said. Mm -hmm. Kevin Anders shared a home with his girlfriend and her three daughters. Each of them used the computer at different times. Anders' girlfriend denied ever viewing child pornography on the computer. She testified Anders changed the password for internet access at the beginning of the summer of 2007 so that he could access, he only could access the internet, which is weird. Like, yeah. what are you thinking, lady? Yeah, or why, like, would why, you... why would you, wouldn't you think that's weird? But... Oh, God. Was she, like, was she battered? Like, was she, was he I abusive? Because... Well, yeah, we got into it. Oh, God. <laughs> this whole... Oh, can of worms. Um, blah, blah, blah. She testified that her daughters were supervised when they were on the computer, that they only used the computer during the day or early evening. They found approximately 180 images of child pornography at various locations on the hard drive. Wow. Gross. So... His appeal, after all of that, was obviously denied. I just wanted to reiterate that this guy fucking sucks, and he has a reason to be suspected of being a part of this murder. Absolutely. um, He did have a parole eligibility date on January 1st of this year. Um, I couldn't find anything else on the results. Uh, I'm assuming nothing came of it because of the fact that... uh, There would be some news article, yeah. Uh, Praise the Lord. So he can be released on parole, but if he isn't, his final date... In prison would be uh, January 2nd, I think that's what it says, of, I don't even know how to read this year off, <laughs> 201107, 2107. Wow. 20, yeah. Ew, so, that's a weird <clears throat> thing we'll have like to. 89 years from now. We won't ever have to yeah, encounter because yeah, we'll all be dead and he'll be dead, I hope. Hopefully. Um, another piece of information that I think helps show Kevin's possible guilt in Hannah's murder were the documents that were obtained that show that Kevin was arrested in 1995 in Arlington, Texas, on charges of sexually assaulting a minor. But he wasn't convicted. Mm. So at the time, in 1995, he would have been 20. The girl in this case, she was his 15-year-old girlfriend. Oh. Who told authorities that he had forced her to have sex three times. Um, they declined to indict Kevin. Like, it didn't even go to trial. Like, nothing happened. Yeah, that's really shitty but, that it didn't go to trial. <laughs> ironically, um, where am I on my paper? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, records indicate that that girlfriend later married him. So, so this is Dana? No, 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 oh, no. Oh, Dana's a... Okay. The 15-year-old girl that tried to say that he raped her multiple times or whatever ended up marrying him. So it's like, can we... Someone say, like, coercive control or, like, Stockholm Syndrome or, like, something. Yes. Like, this is stupid. This um, guy must be a mastermind. Because to be a pedophile, you have to be a master at grooming people and, you know, like, keeping people... I mean... Not I, hooked, but for... I don't know what to say. I mean, I feel like pedophiles sometimes don't even act on their shit. I don't even think like half of them do. They just like think about it and fantasize about it and have those images. But like a piece of shit is the one that acts. Oh on yeah, it. You know what I mean, same thing as what like is serial the killers. Term like for that, like I don't even know. A bunch of people might have the fucking urge to kill, but Child not everyone does is it. What they're called. <laughs> yeah. God, fucking scumbag dickholes. Yeah. 
Um, so he was also convicted in 2005 on a misdemeanor charge of driving without an invalid or with an invalid license. Mm. Um, this is where I believe he met Sean uh, in jail for that crime. Um, so anyway, on to Sean while awaiting court proceedings regarding Hannah's death for two years, for the two years that he was in jail for that, Sean was kept in solitary confinement in the Navarro County jail under suicide watch. Wow. He tried to commit suicide at least three times and, um, of course, a plea deal was brought into this case, and the district attorney said that this is interesting, okay, because I don't know if this always happens. Um, he actually had to discuss the plea deal with Hannah's family, and oh. they agreed that life in prison was acceptable. Wow. So I don't know if this is always the case, if they're always discussed, if there's family remaining that is wanting to have a say in their sentencing. Yeah. Because um, they, they, they should, I feel. Yeah, they, yeah. They really should. In a death penalty state, like, if you're going to do something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so, Sean would go on then to plead guilty to capital murder to avoid the death penalty. <sighs> so stupid. Like, that's so backwards to me. But yep. um, he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He was made to testify in court as a part of his plea deal. Along with this, he was subjected to, he wasn't subjected to a jury trial. It was just a testimony hearing. Um, he had to describe Hannah's death in its entirety in front of her family, oh. along with neighbors, more than 20 courthouse employees, sheriff's, sheriff's office deputies, and child advocates. Wow. Uh, Dana Mack left in tears soon after Sean took the stand, and Sandy Runyon, Hannah's grandmother, left shortly thereafter. Um, so, I mean, I guess it was... No one could sit there, basically. Mm. Um, after the hearing, Sean's defense attorney, Mark Griffith, says, quote, I don't know if it's possible to give peace to the family of Hannah Mack, but now they know exactly what occurred. And I feel like we've said this before, that it's sometimes that's almost better for some mm-hmm. people because knowing what happened versus, you know, getting the sentencing that you want or whatever, because at least you're getting the supposed full truth and yeah. left like wondering is this the right guy? Did we do the right thing? Is this actually what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. I don't know. Um, the oh. grandmother is quoted saying, we were in agreement with the decision to um, give him life. We didn't want to go through a trial. It would be too painful. Neighbors and friends agreed that the trial would have been like reliving the murder over again. However, they were horrified at the revelations of Kevin's potential involvement in the crime. Uh, defense attorney again, Mark Griffiths, says that he hopes that Kevin is indicted on capital murder charges and that it is fairly obvious that he was involved. Quote, you can put the dots together. He's currently in Navarro County Jail for possession of child pornography. Sean's history, however, includes only minor thefts and burglaries, not assault or murder. Sean's attorneys also said that their client is remorseful, although he didn't apologize on the witness stand. Hmm. Mark Griffith again uh, quote, he probably didn't apologize because he wanted to minimize. He didn't want to minimize what happened. The act of pleading guilty and subjecting himself to being questioned in court was a way of purging himself. He held nothing back and allowed any questions to be asked. He said to me once, how could an apology ever justify what I did? And I said, Sean, I'm not sure that it could. Hmm. I mean, I kind of like this guy. I do, too. He's he's he, straight up, I guess. I, I mean, I would want him to represent me. I mean, he's not having to really do anything. I That's guess. true. <laughs> but he like advocated for the morality of mm-hmm. this guy. Like, do do the right thing, yeah. motherfucker. <laughs> um, this is interesting to me because I can see what the attorney says by an apology would have seemed kind of like an afterthought or, yes. um, you know, it's too late to say sorry sort of thing. But because yeah, this dude had so many opportunities to just. Stop. Well, and I think that like sometimes, though, like 
families just want to hear a sorry. Yes. But then they also don't because they're like, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, you already did this. Like, it doesn't change the fact that it's, someone mm-hmm. has died that it was close to you. But it's kind of part of the healing process, I mm-hmm. think. And it gives them, I don't know, some sort of ray of sunshine or yeah. like, okay, it's over closure or something Peace like that. Peace within themselves to not carry this, like, right. throughout their lives. Yeah. Like, know yeah. that maybe they're I accepted or, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he referenced Sean's priors of only being theft and burglary charges. And it reminded me... I actually wrote a little paper on this topic. Misdemeanor offenses or even nonviolent felonies can one day escalate into much more if not stopped early on. So I feel like it's interesting because it's like how many times do we see larceny move into burglary, which then moves into robbery, which then moves into assault, rape or murder? Like it's a constant escalation. We talk about it all the time. Um, you know, you get caught up in the crimes and you aren't getting the rush or the, you know, whatever out of the theft anymore. And you want the thrill of a crime to be more extensive. And maybe the reward of the crime needs to be more mm-hmm. of like money or valuables. You know, you steal a bike, then you steal a car, so on and so forth. That led me to people, specifically younger males who commit property and violent crimes, are starting to prove that they have lower heart rates and limbic system issues. They don't have normal hormone or emotional responses to certain situations. So they seek out activities that give them a higher sense of adrenaline rush. So my point is, is that he was just doing petty theft or possession mm-hmm. or burglary. But like he had this moment of like, I could rape and kill this girl right now. Yeah. And maybe this was what he was searching for. Because it wasn't just like a one and done deal. He just spent some time in jail for burglary or he had some pot on him. Like mm-hmm. he was 19. That's young. Yes, he was uh, athletic. That's he had a, probably had a lower a heart point. rate. You know what I mean? I think that that's something to keep in mind because he was young and he had a history of those exact offenses that lead to escalation. So yeah. every serial killer, every serial Starts rapist. They, yeah. Um, I'll abruptly go into questions and theories because that was literally kind of everything on their trials and situation. Um, I still do have uh, questions about Kevin's involvement in the whole thing because I read this. Interestingly enough, Dana Mack's other two daughters were removed from her custody after Hannah's murder. They're now in the foster care system, and uh, Dana is allowed regular visits. That's random. Mm-hmm. It's not like she's living with Kevin anymore. Right. You know, I don't know. It made me kind of, what's happening with Dana? Yeah. Um. So more to my concern. I read that they had only moved to the area a few months before Hannah's death, and in that time, Dana met Kevin He was allowed to move in. Um, Kevin worked at a gas station. Dana was a dishwasher at a local restaurant. And did I mention that Kevin was casually married at the time to not the 15-year-old, a different woman? So what a guy. Supposedly, neighbors also claimed that they saw Dana with bruises and black eyes from time to time. Um, One woman also said that she heard um, there was a pretty big public fight between Dana and Kevin at a car wash in town. So, like, their relationship was shitty, is my point. Um, His moral compass was way off. He abused Dana, possibly raped that 15-year-old. His general existence points him to being involved in Hannah's death. And I just want to, like reiterate that because like drive that home. right yeah. sean didn't just walk by the house break in however not uncommon from his record he could right. have done that see hannah asleep on the couch maneuver inside a home he's never been in find the garage rape and strangle and hang this girl vandalize the house and then at the end of it all it just so happens to be the house of the guy that he knew from jail a few years ago right. like, it doesn't happen no no so, there had he had to have been involved as well yep so it was 
Hannah's first day of school the next day. Mm. You don't let your kids sleep on the couch no. before her first day of first grade. That makes me think that Kevin realized that it was a little bit more difficult to molest her in the bedroom she shared with her sisters, maybe. Good one. her on the couch. I didn't even think about that. Well, because it was like the couch inside the house. And I know that's going to... It confused me because I thought, okay, were they in the house? Were they in the garage? I don't understand. But that is a good point. You force her to automatically sleep on the couch. But how did he know that Sean was going to be walking by? Maybe he didn't and he was just going to fucking do it anyway. Right. That's that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that this was something that he was already doing. This was a pattern. Uh, And he was just like, you know what? You're my buddy. Come here. Like, get it on this sweet whatever. Like, fuck you. Six years old. Six years old, everybody. Yeah. Um, again, how do you not wake up a whole house with when staging a burglary? Yeah. That also points to maybe other people being in on it. I don't know. That's how weird. does nobody hear this? Yeah. Little girls, little girls can scream at a high pitch. Right. And it wasn't just in the garage that was far away. It started on the porch. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, whatever. Um, some theories on Sean. Sean mentioned he suffered from an abusive childhood that included his own rape from a family member. He was in and out of the foster system and was always in trouble uh, throughout his teens. Um, so I'm very aware that, you know, abuse travels down sort of like a yes. domino effect. You know, the abuse become the abuser, so on and so forth. He would have abused the unborn child. Mm-hmm. His right. Of the girlfriend. Have. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I never hear anything about her. That weirded me out. That's um, very interesting. I'm only assuming that the person that abused Sean was a male relative of some kind, whatever. Um, so I wonder if, like, the pressure from, like, an older male. You know, Kevin was 32. That's significantly-ish older than a 19-year-old. Mm-hmm. Pushing him into a sexual act with Hannah reminded him of his own past abuse, which then triggered him, you know, this looming desire to sexually assault another person. I don't know. It's speculation, but it, it could be a thing. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And just like how we talked the other day about incarceration doesn't Mm -hmm. remedy countless children and adults who are raped and murdered we need to rehabilitate these offenders okay these guys are sitting in jail and as we all know people can get out on fucking parole Mm -hmm. way too often and their perversions are not mended so this is a perfect situation of this kevin anders guy can get out on parole potentially i highly doubt he will due to the fact that he's so uh he sucks and he might be involved in this. Yeah. But on the off chance, um, I feel like something needs to be done. We need to think about psychologically restoring these people. Uh, I do think education and job training, all that stuff is really important. But like, I just feel like they're going to go right back out to raping and murdering and something needs to be done for these people. And that sounds really like on the defense of them. But like, no, we do, because it really is just a I, I read a comment in a Facebook post about the story I'm doing and some lady commented in like, oh, great, we're giving these two whatever's room and board for the rest mm-hmm. of their life and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you're you're wrong because but you're not wrong. You right, know, it's right, like right, right. we should also be spending Trying time to, to yes to to get to the root of the problem which would also mean we are studying them mm-hmm. finding out what these patterns are and how we can stop them early on and then possibly i mean people get out on parole when they shouldn't all the time right we've covered so many Too stories many. that started with someone getting out on parole this guy was out on parole right <laughs> right god 
Um, anyways, on a lighter note, last thing. Everyone says that Hannah was um, much like any other six-year-old girl. She was a girly girl who loved dolls, putting on jewelry, wearing a tiara while playing princess. And in 2007, Hannah was thrilled about two big things or two big events, um, according to her grandmother. One was starting the first grade and the other was getting the training wheels off of her bicycle. <sighs> Um, she was especially excited about school because she loved books and she wanted to see new friends every day. Not surprisingly, at six years old, Hannah's only plans for her future were to be a princess. So on September 14th, 2007, Hannah was buried in a purple and white frilly dress and her princess tiara. I know. Oh. <laughs> but I wanted to end it on princess positivity. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sweet little baby. Yeah, I know. That's so fucking sad. It was really sad. Now, like, reading it again... I don't want to say I'm not as sad, but I feel like it's still terrible. Yeah. Shitty, shitty fucking people. And it makes me so sad to think that it makes me sad for those people. Yes. Because it's like to live with that desire and that mm-hmm. that demented existence in your head. Does that, I don't know. Does that make sense? I don't know what kind yeah. of word I want to use. I don't want to say like sin or or whatever because I don't want to make it biblical right now. I'm just trying to get the point across of like ooh, these guys even women whatever like yeah. to live like that that must be terrible and then to know that you're gonna do something like that to an innocent person mm-hmm. you're a piece of shit yeah like I what mean, happened to you it's not talked about enough like i got in a car this is too scary for people to it deal is. with there's every there yeah no. and all it takes is like people talk about triggers for trauma well triggers exist for psychopathy mm-hmm. and for serial killers for serial rapists for anyone who's going to go into the next level of deviancy those triggers exist so it's just so ugh, god we need to rehabilitate these people in the prison system more because even if they're not getting out like we're still because we don't spend jack shit on the prison system in the right ways so if we were spending money on counseling and studying their minds while also rehabilitating them like i feel like so much could be learned from them and then future crimes could be prevented and it just be full circle a good idea i mean i i obviously i don't know anything about prison budgets and and spending and what costs you have have no idea but i mean imagine if you just found like i guarantee you you could find some medical interns that want to go into psychology and are like hey you go do this stuff for free and we'll put it on your resume and you can get Mm -hmm. x amount of you know uh volunteer hours of and i maybe they can't because they're not certified or you know what i'm saying or doctor doctors but i just feel like there has to be a way of maybe not even having to spend money on it is just asking people to do the right thing Mm -hmm. and spend your time and it doesn't have to be this big project of like this is mandated by every state to do it in their prison, but just something in the the right steps of whether yes. it is a volunteer program or what have you. But we can't just sit here and think that this is all going to go away because it and doesn't. The the people are just going to get out and stop. Yeah, everyone hates being in prison because they're treated like shit. They get no help. No one understands, regardless if they're guilty or innocent. Something has to be done. You mm-hmm. can't just put people in a cage forever and expect them to change. That's just not can't. how it works. There was a part on what what was it on my favorite murders one of their most recent episodes and she was like blah 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 mental health yeah and I was like that's literally what we need like, to do like yes. that's all we have to say uh, it's mental health it's fine so two things we learned from this kind of mental health is important and rehabilitation and then also like child developmental stuff is so important and it could like 
what happens to you in your younger years could also turn you into a rapist or a serial killer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't smoke pot. So, tell me when we're on. I've been, I haven't stopped, yeah. So, I'm just going to preface this with, I, and this is in no way an excuse, it's just what's been going on. Tomorrow is like the one year whatever anniversary of my brother's passing that's been weighing oh my kinda... gosh really i know it's been a year already oh i'm so like sorry no, no no it's okay no, it's, i know it's... but i still want to say sorry thank but... you <laughs> it's just been weighing kind of heavy on me so i'm gonna kind of like i have felt because i definitely like i suffer from depression but i'm also like over it most of the mm-hmm. time you know like there's you can be you manage in limbo it. yeah i manage it and this is kind of in this past like i think two week span my motivation for work everything has plummeted mm-hmm. so i could not find a crime that i felt any sort of pull towards and so i decided to go to um our lovely listener i had it pulled up and then my phone decided to do do do, do, do. okay you think it was jill oh it was jill okay. it was actually jill it was our wonderful Me listener jill, jill. So she suggested this crime, and I decided to do it. And I really want to do it justice for her because she knew the victims. Um, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I will say there was a lot of information. We'll talk about it. Um, some information was from a source that is n- is definitely biased, and so I had to do a lot of cross-referencing. So there might be a point where I have to tell Hannah to pause so I can okay. look up a thing, <laughs> and we can. So, but. Research. Here we go. This is the murders of Misty Morgan and Sarah Cleary. Forensic files. On the night of June 7th, 1997, 19-year-old Misty Morgan and 17-year-old Sarah Cleary, um, co-workers at the Steak and Ale restaurant, which is no longer a thing, um, but it was at this point, at the intersection of 1960 and I-45. So it's in spring. Um, Dang. They were two bright, friendly young ladies, um, and they decided to go out and have some Saturday night fun. Um, hi. Pain. Hi, <laughs> buddy. just took the microphone. Oh. My sweet, sweet. Um, Sorry. No, it's okay. So <laughs> Misty and uh, Sarah decided to go out on this Saturday night and have some fun. Uh, they went dancing at a club in Houston called Trios. It's not open anymore. And they had a few beers, hung out. They they drank, they danced, they had a few beers. And while at this club, Trios, they met a guy named Gabriel Saxton. I searched and searched and searched, and I could not find his age. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming he's around their age. So we're going to say at the oldest, 21, probably closer to 1920. Um, Gabriel lived with his sister out in Conroe at the time, and he had driven to the club with his sister and her boyfriend. Um, before they arrived at the club, uh, he stopped, he had them stop at a strip club called Fantasy North, which is no longer a thing, but fantasy strip clubs still exist around the Houston area. Yeah, Fantasy Plaza, is that mm-hmm. the one? That's that's, like, that's what I'm thinking. Right there yeah. on 45? Okay. The one you can always see mm-hmm. any trip you take, yeah. Um, he meant to buy some cocaine. Met up there to buy some cocaine. Um, so he meets the girls at the club. 
decides to go home with them. His sister and her boyfriend wanted to leave earlier. They agreed to give him a ride home. Um, He and Misty had kind of hit it off a little bit. They spent the night chatting, dancing, hanging out. Um, So Gabriel and Misty, at the point of closing time for the club, sat in Sarah's car while Sarah was inside the club chatting. While in the car, they smoked pot. They did a little blow. Had some, you know, Saturday night fun. Like, they're super young, so no what judgment. this again? I'm sorry. 1997. Okay. Um, so when Sarah came back... Oh, I wrote a little notes to the side. Okay, so when Sarah came back to her car from the club, they drove... I'm sorry, I wrote this in a, like, arrow to this, arrow oh, to yeah, this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so they drove to a convenience store to get cigarettes and some drinks. I don't know if they were alcoholic drinks. I am assuming, though, that they were. Um, then they drove to a nearby apartment where Sarah and Misty went inside. While inside, Gabriel transferred his belongings from Sarah's car to Misty's car, which was parked at the apartment complex. Okay. So that was probably, <laughs> I, I don't know if that was either of the girls' apartment. I never saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had both parked there at some point. Okay. So they transferred everything to Misty's car. Um, Gabriel moved their wallets, moved their purses, moved their phones. So he's basically just like... Phones. Bitch boy. Yeah. Yeah. Cell phones back oh. then. Mm-hmm. We'll Fancy talk about those. Surfers. Oh, yeah. Um, so the girls come out. Blah, blah, blah. The girls go back out and Misty calls her stepfather at 2.38 a.m. Mm-hmm. and tells him that she's in for the night. Okay. So at 2.38, uh, around 2.42, actually, they leave the apartment, which is uh, corroborated by a Gabriel Cepeda who lived at this apartment. The two girls told Gabriel, this Gabriel, Cepeda, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. told Cepeda, if you don't hear from us in a few hours, call 911. Ugh. Because they were taking this guy they had just met at a club. Then don't even do Conroe. it if you're already mm-hmm. having to say that. Exactly. So this apartment was in Houston. They're Sorry, about girl. 35 miles away from the Conroe area. Mm-hmm. Um, we both know where that is. That's literally, you're going straight down 45. Yeah. So it's going to take you about... 25 to 30 minutes to get to Conroe. Um, before going there, they stop at Fantasy again and buy $50 worth of cocaine. Then they drove to Conroe. Um, Sarah was driving Misty's car. Okay. Um, as they neared Gabriel's sister's house where he lived, <coughs> they asked, um, this is around 3.38 a.m., um, they asked Sarah... I'm so sorry. <laughs> so they asked Gabriel if he wanted to come with them to take care of some business. End quote. He didn't really know what he meant, but he kind of thought he was going to get lucky. So he recalls some names being mentioned, including a girl named Kat, but really nice. was just kind of focused on like, yeah, we're going to go in the woods, hang out. I'm probably going to have sex with you guys. Um, Misty then directed Sarah to pull over into a wooded area near some railroad tracks. This was in Conroe at the intersection of Tees Nursery Road and North Fraser Street. I know exactly where that is because I have a lot of accounts right there. I so recognize Tees Nursery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty in Conroe, but it's, I mean, in 1997, that's mm-hmm. 20 years ago. So that back then, Conroe wasn't super developed. So mm-hmm. it was just definitely woods. Um, 
So they pull over near some railroad tracks. They roll down the windows to smoke some pot and do some cocaine. Um, They're also drinking some alcohol the whole time. So they're just hanging out, having some fun. Um, This is when things start to get weird. This is from Gabriel's testimony at this point. Saxton, Gabriel Saxton says at this point he got out to pee, um, probably closer to 3 a.m., got out to pee and wanted to go far enough into the woods that the girls couldn't see him. Um, he estimated about 30 feet. I have okay. some thoughts about that, but we can, th- we can talk yeah, about them. I think we have the same thoughts. So while preparing to pee, he sees lights of another vehicle, um, likely a truck, big headlights coming near. He pulls up his pants and runs further into the forest to hide, thinking it could be the cops. Oh. Um, he is on parole or on probation. It, same thing. He had just gotten out of jail. It means you didn't physically go to jail. Mm-hmm. parole means you got released from jail yeah or if you did go to watch. jail probation is kind of your you only your went to jail for like a week or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay that makes sense so, so gabriel was out on parole he had been to jail recently so he was out on parole okay prison it, does it matter jail okay from the source i read that said jail it, it, it said jail and okay. then there were, like I said, like 10 different sources I used, and some said probation, some said parole. He had a record, basically, and he was currently under police surveillance okay. as part of, like... So he was out on parole and under probation. Possibly. Both. Possibly. <laughs> he was a bad motherfucker. Yeah. So, um, this is why he runs into the forest okay. that he says. Um, he sees this truck part a, park about 100 yards away from Sarah's vehicle that Missy had been driving. Missy's vehicle that Sarah had been driving. Good lord. I've had two ciders, y'all. He then sees one seemingly male passenger get out of the truck to go up to Misty and Sarah and talk to them through the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, In total, he sees three figures in the car. One figure in the middle seemed to have a ponytail. So from his viewpoint, two males and one female. Mm this passenger who got out and talked to the girls did so for about five minutes. Um, and then the girls get out of the car. He claims that he cannot hear anything but mumbles. Later kind of flip-flops that when he's cross-examined by police. Um, I'll say what he says later. So at this point, he's saying that he can only hear uh, mumbles. So the girls get out. Altercation occurs. Yelling. Argument. Sarah is the one that gets out first and the man that was already at the vehicle starts hitting her in the head with his fist. So he's beating her in the head. Um, Misty gets out of the car to try to stop it and the other man who has since exited the truck knocks her unconscious. Uh So these men have now attacked these two women. The ponytailed person in the vehicle did not get out. So... Supposedly the woman. Exactly. Supposedly the woman. So, Sarah has been beat repeatedly in the head. Misty has gotten out and tried to defend her and was knocked unconscious. Saxton said in one testimony, um, like I said, that he could only hear mumbles, but says in another that he clearly heard something like, leave us alone and we won't tell. He then, at that point, runs further back into the forest and waits about 10 to 15 minutes. Then he returns. When asked by prosecutors during the trial about what he found when he returned, he said, and I quote, 
I saw Sarah lying at the left rear of the car. It looked like they tried to, I don't know, her head was pretty much detached from her body. And Misty was at the rear of the car. She was lying on her back also. Gabriel then gathered his things, the drugs, the two girls' cell phones, Sarah's boots off of her corpse, the girls' watches off of their body, and one of the girls' panties were also removed and far away from her body. He denies doing that. So presumably he maybe removed one of the female's underwear. Presumably the assailants did that, mm-hmm. but he He admits recalls, everything else, though. Right, exactly. Um, at this point, Gabriel starts the car and tries to drive off, but he sees the headlights returning and decides to bail. Instead, being on foot would be better for him at this point. Okay. So did he not have shoes on? He had shoes on. He took the he admitted to taking the boots and the watches to try to steal. Excuse me, to sell them later. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he robbed them. He basically robbed these girls as they're lying on the floor or the ground, possibly dead, possibly not. Um. So he runs toward and along the railroad tracks and hides a little bit. Mm -hmm. He remains hidden as the truck returns and he hears like. In quotes, like a whoosh sound, I guess. Waits until the truck leaves and then returns to the now burning vehicle. Oh, my God. Sarah and Misty are now inside the vehicle. Oh, my God. He claims that he tried to call 911 and his sister from both of the girls' cell phones, Mm -hmm. and he gets no signal. He said he was afraid to help during all of this because he was on probation and afraid at the same time of getting killed. Um, He then ran home on foot and laid out his clothes in the laundry basket for his sister to wash the next day goes to work i think he i think it said he worked at like a construction yard something like that mm-hmm. so he goes to work early in the morning comes home and hides the girl's ids cell phone one cell phone remaining one of the cell phones he had dropped on his truck back home which mm-hmm. was corroborated it was found by somebody um the girl's phone keys oh the car keys ids in the wall of his attic cool that he was redoing so he was doing (laughs) some construction dropped it behind the drywall burn it or what i'm glad you didn't yeah or don't the cops yeah yeah but whatever so (laughs) this is all according to gabriel's testimony Mm -hmm. now on the afternoon of June 8th, 1997, the following day, a group of kids biking in the woods come across the torched car and contact police. Conroe Police Officer Taylor was sent to the scene and he used his cell phone while he was there. There was a nearby Mm. cell phone tower. Interesting tidbit. Police began their investigation and they just start questioning people who knew Misty and Sarah. Um, Never mind. Okay, <laughs> so this eventually leads them to question the 19-year-old Lonnie Labonte. Um, he was friends, friends with Misty's boyfriend, and this questioning occurred on June 19, 1997. So Lonnie gave DNA samples and shoe impressions and then was again questioned on July 16th. Um, he denied any knowledge or involvement. Um, police also questioned his, at the time, girlfriend, Melissa Cat Brannon. Oh, um, she goes by Cat. Okay. So, 
Lonnie's, this was Lonnie's 17-year-old girlfriend. So she was questioned on the same day. So June 19th and then July 16th of 1997. Okay. She also denied involvement or knowledge of the crime. Um, she said her and Lonnie had been at his house in New Waverly that night. And they were in all night and in through the afternoon of the next day. So in November of 1997, police had kind of gathered enough information that led them to Gabriel Saxton. So they questioned him and he gave his story. The story changed a lot and was really inconsistent through questioning. So he gave an initial statement. He gave a different statement the next time. He was cross-examined and gave a different statement. Details kept changing in his story. Um, and at one point, interesting tidbit, he was also placed under hypnosis, our friend. Yes. Oof. Oh, Kano. So, um, the investigation continues with no leads or development until June of 1999. Wow. So this is uh, two years later, just about. At this point, Kat Brannon's half-sister, Kylie, was brought in on unrelated charges by Conroe police. Somehow, she at this point implicated her sister, Kat, and Lonnie in this crime. Um, It's possible that she was coerced and threatened, and her charges were also dropped after she implicated her half-sister and her boyfriend at the time. Of course. So, what is kind of known about Lonnie and Kat is that they were drug dealers. They were nefarious. Um, Kat had left her parents' house at 15. You know, she's 17 at this time. She leaves her parents' house at 15. Um, she's been in and on a drug rehab program. So we can go a certain way and say that these were people that would kind of fit right, the crime right, right, yeah. just because of their lifestyle. Um, so her half-sister's charges were dropped. This was enough for police to obtain an arrest warrant for Lonnie Labonte, Kat Brannon, and Russell LaFleur, who was Lonnie's house guest for two weeks during, during the time, time of the murder. Yes. Wow. So, they were all indicted January of 2000. So, 18 years ago. Um, LaFleur, LaFleur <laughs> sorry, gave a statement placing himself at the scene but blaming Labonte, Lonnie, his roommate kind of, for the murder. Um, LaFleur did say that he helped set the car afire. This was videotaped when he found out this confession was videotaped. Not the crime. Sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) So when he found out his confession was videotaped, he recanted. And said that he made these claims due to extreme thirst and hunger, exhaustion, confusion, and he was being physically threatened by police who were feeding him details of the crime. So, interesting point to talk about. Um, Wouldn't he have known that it was being recorded? Wouldn't they tell him that, like, as part of your, like... I don't know. Not Miranda rights, but you know what I mean, like... But you also go kind of into the making of the murderer shit, where you, like can pick on people for their socioeconomic status, maybe their intelligence level, their substance abuse, whatever, and, like, yeah. you can kind of coerce them into... And it was, what, 2000? 2000, so, so that's, that's a long yeah, time ago. Yeah. So um, we're going to kind of skim through kind of both the trials. Um, at one point, we're going to probably have to pause just so I can check a thing. But for this point, 
Um, LaFleur was tried and convicted on two counts of capital murder and one count of arson. The arson charge was dropped. Um, He did say that he had inefficient counsel. Um, they bullied him into doing certain things. They, when he decided he didn't want to testify, they were enraged with him. Um, he also requested that the venue be changed because there were defamatory news articles mm. in the Conroe area. For sure. Um, that was denied. So it is possible, um, something we could, we could definitely do a whole episode on how this, I read the court transcripts basically. This guy definitely could have had an unfair trial due mm-hmm. to his counsel being ineffective, um, the venue change not being accepted or allowed, and then the jury being partial to mm-hmm. his guilt. Um, he was sentenced on May 15th, 2002 to life in prison. So, Kat, Lonnie's girlfriend at the time, denied involvement until a motherfucking plea, plea bargain was struck and she changed her tune. So three years after her initial questioning in 1997, mm-hmm. she was promised by prosecution, which was denied by prosecution, but it was it was said really by her sucks. lawyer and by Lonnie's <laughs> lawyer that there was a wink-wink deal. Um, she was promised, air quotes, that her testimony would not be hello different page would not be used against her in the trial she decided to testify um this is where i could pull up a name he matters for sure but it's gonna be in the sources so she calls in one of the dudes from the jail and makes her confession without her lawyers present also not okay um so she testified so that this wouldn't quotes happen to somebody else Her testimony follows. She met up with her boyfriend Lonnie Labonte at a pool hall in South Conroe and was with him the entire night from that point. She and he made some drug deals throughout the night um, in different bowling alley parking lots, movie theater parking lots. um, And then they later picked up his then roommate, uh, Ronald LaFleur. Exactly. Russell, not Ronald. Russell. Thank you. (laughs) Jesus Christ. This Ronald is why Clark. being sober is helpful. <laughs> oh, my God. I might have had three beers before I came over here, but that's neither here nor there. So um, at some point during the night, they all dropped acid and then went to get takeout from McDonald's, which I have some thoughts on, but we'll wait. Um, in the early hours of the morning, Isn't she says... Isn't from McDonald's takeout, but... Well, yeah, yeah. I think this was important to mention that they drove through instead oh, of going okay, in and interacting with people. Sorry. So um, the early hours of the morning, she says they drove to the woods off of T's Nursery Road to, quotation, meet someone. She claims to not know the reason for the meetup or the subsequent murder. So remember, she stayed in the car Uh during this. That is what Gabriel said. Uh Ponytail stayed in the car. She also claims that she stayed in the car, which was parked about 100 feet away from this um from this attack um she said she could hear yelling from the truck where she stayed she saw punches being thrown and at the point where she saw what we kind of know to now be sarah on the ground Mm -hmm. after blows being thrown at her um she stopped watching and she did not look up again until the men were back to the truck they did not discuss what happened after they got back in the car 
Um, they then drove to a nearby friend's house where LaFleur took something out of the house and they returned to the scene of the crime. Early, An early break in this case was witnesses saying that they saw Lonnie LaFleur around the time of the murders with a Molotov cocktail. So this is partially why cats... A what? A Molotov cocktail. What's that? Um, it's like a makeshift bomb. Oh, okay. Basically, yeah. Um, so this is partially why Kat's half-sister say, oh, okay. yeah, implicating them in this crime. There were also some testimonies saying, well, I saw Lonnie with a bomb, basically. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of what all came together and got them uh, arrest warrants. Um, so this testimony indicated that the car was doused with gasoline and set aflame. Brandon also claims that when she she was with them... And closer to the scene when the women were moved into the car. Uh She claims she heard a moan coming from one of the girls as they were moved from the truck. Um, Police kind of think that Misty was alive when the fire was set. Um, (coughs) After this, Kat, I'm going to use the other last names, LaFleur and Labonte all went back to LaFleur and Labonte's house. Uh Um, for this testimony, she received immunity in the double murder the charge. whole thing? whole thing. Wow. I mean, I guess that's the moment where it's like, all right, I can see how plea deals work because, fuck, you would have zero information if not. Yeah. But how do you know if this is true? It, yes. So, um, at this point, we're going to go into Lonnie LaFleur's trial, and this is where I'm going to kind of like, da-da-da-da-da, Hannah might have to cut some stuff out because I'm looking things up. As I mentioned earlier, one of my sources was possibly a little biased. One of the best sources happened to be written by Lonnie Labonte's mother for a local newspaper. Um, I did, this is what I was saying, I was going back and forth and trying to corroborate information make sure it, mm. i was presenting the least biased um in the way that i wanted to present this crime i've now decided that i am just going to breeze <laughs> through lonnie's trial as i did with lafleur's okay so lonnie labonte was sentenced on september 28th 2000 um he will have to serve a minimum of 40 years before being eligible of parole. He was convicted of two counts of capital murder. The arson charge was dropped. There are some issues now that I will go into. Um, the boots that were stolen off of Sarah's body were never recovered. The truck that Lonnie was driving at the time, it was inspected voluntarily by police. Mm-hmm. There were some spots and specks found, about 12 like microscopic specks, but an expert said that that could possibly be from rust or something like that. So it wasn't conclusively, it was inconclusive. It was not conclusively. It would match with like fire or something? Or? Right. Okay. okay. Right. Um, there was no DNA evidence. Tire tracks? Nothing. There should have been five sets of tire tracks for Kat and Gabriel's mm-hmm. story to line up. And there were only two sets of tire tracks. So, whoa, yes, another very interesting thing. Lonnie and Russell had no wounds when questioned by police, police initially, mm-hmm. just a couple weeks after the crime. Mm-hmm. Gabriel Saxton had deep cuts on his face, scratch marks on his arms, and some bruises that he claimed were from tripping and falling in the woods as he struggled to 
run away in a panic a few times. Um, cell phone records kind of, according to yeah, Lonnie's mother. Yeah, I wondered. Cell phone records kind of prove that Lonnie was in his home in New, Waver- in New Waverly mm-hmm. at the time of the crime. Um, just because he's technically roaming due to his cell phone plan when he's in that area. So, you know, at that point, they're still kind of primitive, like, cell phone plans. Um, And also remember, (laughs) Gabriel says two cell phones could not complete a phone call at the scene of the crime, yet a police officer the very next day was able to. Um, Which, why was he using his cell phone? Wouldn't he just use, like, his police radio? um, It said he radioed for, you know, more police to come, but he also used his cell phone at some point there. So, yeah, I wasn't sure about that either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We are going to kind of go into questions and theories because without going by the biased Labonte mother article, reading what I read in the Cron.com articles, the local Conroe News articles, um, Montgomery County police officers think that they found their guys. There are certain articles that have a little bit more of an air of, hey, why didn't we check out this Gabriel Saxton guy a little bit more? So my thoughts on this, Melissa, or not Melissa, I'm sorry, um, Misty knew Lonnie mm-hmm. because her boyfriend was friends with him. She had been to Lonnie's parents' house. Like, she knew these people. They did not know Gabriel Saxton. Right. They that's met what... him that night. He is obviously... Okay, that's where my disconnect was. I was like, how would this guy frame these people or know who... I'm going to casually say this. Like, I didn't, I missed that part, I guess, mm-hmm. of like, how would he, I literally wrote, how did he get so lucky to like casually find people? You know what I mean? <coughs> I mean, I guess it's not that hard to find two guys and a girl with a ponytail, but you know what I'm saying? And I, he was questioned so many months after. He was yeah. questioned five months after. I think it's a distinct, a distinct possibility that there were news articles written. That's a good point. Possibly. To get story together. Yeah. And the only real lead that police had since Lonnie and Kat and Russell were kind of in the back of their mind, which is why they may have coerced Kat's sister mm-hmm. to indict or implicating them. It's possible that the news articles had already said, you know, something about them being suspicious. So he... You know, well, and we saw how Russell was like, I want it moved. The trial moved because of media Mm -hmm. pollution. So we know they're not good about maybe keeping a gag order on this whole thing. So it probably was in the news. And And these are easy to follow. Two young, beautiful Mm. spring area girls that are brutally murdered and burned, possibly one alive. So this definitely got some news attention. Could they, because of the burning, they probably couldn't tell if she died of smoke inhalation or something like that? Exactly. Most of the physical evidence was destroyed in the fire. Um, So that's possibly why there wasn't a lot of physical evidence. But they're also, if you beat somebody to death Mm -hmm. and nearly decapitate them, as Gabriel explained, there would be blood spatter evidence. Right. There would be something. Um. I think it's also very suspicious that Gabriel went back to possibly rape one of the women, mm-hmm. steal from them. Or did rape them, and or that's did. why he tried to take the underwear. What I think uh, what I think happened, I think Gabriel has a lot more to do with it For sure. than he said. And I think maybe what happened is the reason they went out to the woods was so they could buy some acid or something from Lonnie and Kat. And he sees this while he's peeing. Something has something happened at that point 
Do you think where both he, things could have? I think both things could have happened. I, I I think it's more likely that he was responsible for their poss- their deaths and the you, fire. I I feel like yes, I agree. I feel like. Wouldn't they have said to him, like, hey, we're going to have our friends meet us up here. They're going to hook us up with some drugs. Right. And, like, so he wouldn't have been this caught off guard. Because otherwise, right. who – It's you said it was off in the woods. So it's, mm-hmm. like, who just stumbles upon these two girls and is, like, we're just going to kill everyone. Exactly. Like, that doesn't happen. And then another thought I had – I've taken acid. Yes, we do know that people can murder on acid. <laughs> Thank you, Manson family. <laughs> what I also know is you do not drop acid – and then eat food. Mm-hmm. You don't tip. It's possible, of course. Typically, you don't. And yeah, I'm you're assuming usually more distracted mm-hmm. doing other things. You can't really stomach it because you don't think about that stuff. You're not thinking about. You can't taste. Stuff. Your senses in that genre mm-hmm. aren't really. They're not happening. There. Yeah, it's a more like visual, sensational kind of thing. So her that kind of makes me think her story is a little weird. Like anyone who has taken acid before does not think to go get food, and you're also not driving around. There are real responsible people. There are weird trippers, but I'm thinking a 17 year old and two 19 year olds maybe haven't done acid 50 or 60 times in their life to where they're like, yeah, whatever, we're gonna eat. Or I'm did thinking, they take something that really wasn't acid and they just thought they that's were? possible. Or were they lying? I don't, you know. Yeah, see, like, her her story being... But she's a drug dealer, so you'd think she would have taken it multiple times. I that's don't know. true. That's also true. Like, my mind goes to, you don't eat when you're on acid. Maybe her confession was kind of, like, made up a little because she yeah. was going to get a plea, be- plea bargain. Um. <laughs> so I think the fact that Gabriel Saxton stole things from the women's corpses, Definitely. did not try to help them during the attack, did not go to them after the attack and try to help them, right. um, especially if one of them was possibly alive. This, this one is so confusing because how would Kat know one of them was alive? How, why would that be a lie? She is oh, recently the moaning and grumbling thing. Mm-hmm. She was recently sentenced and put in prison for something else, a controlled substance charge. So is Gabriel. I think it's most likely that this person, the girls did not know, is responsible for their deaths. Mm-hmm. But the fact that. Gabriel and Kat's stories kind of do match up. up to each other. Mm-hmm. That is also very suspicious. And we also have two men in prison for life for this crime. And Montgomery County Police, they think they got their guys. They are very... Wait, so Gabriel's not... He's only in jail for that drug thing? Gabriel walked free. Dang. So he possibly violated a corpse. Um, he definitely stole from a corpse. He failed to report a crime. <coughs> He hid evidence. Yeah. I don't know why he didn't go to jail. I'm not. And Lonnie Levante's lawyer painted Gabriel as the assailant, which I definitely understand. Police and prosecution and yeah, police and prosecution agreed that the truth had not been told all throughout the entire trial. But that evidence and witness testimony sure. point toward Lonnie and Russell as the assailants. But like, well, okay, finish what you were going to say. I'm sorry. 
That was that was basically okay. it because I'm 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 very confused about this. That's why I told you earlier. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. could this be wrongful conviction, <clears throat> could not be. But like, what the fuck with this was this guy Gabriel they had just met doing? Do I don't you think understand. that like there was some backtracking of the events of the night? Could they have tracked camera footage to see all of them at the strip club at the gas station? What happened with the neighbor that they said, hey? fucking call the cops if we don't come home did he corroborate who they were with like was there evidence of him in at least the other car when they found it because this bitch isn't coming back to get her car from the parking lot his Mm -hmm. shit was in there he was sitting in it right at Mm -hmm. some point so wasn't there had to have been some linkage of evidence just because that car wasn't yes burned like i think that's weird gabriel cepeda mm-hmm. did because the they were all in one car that other car was stayed at gabriel yeah. cepeda's yeah, yeah, apartment yeah. or whatever but they um, had sat in that one that was the one that right. they had taken earlier yes and he also testified that saxton did leave with the women and they said they were giving him a ride so then that, what the fuck exactly um there is a part in lonnie's <laughs> mother's article that says the police recovered an outside surveillance video from a business located near the turnoff onto the sandy road where morgan's car was found we have not yet been allowed to view this video that may conclusively prove the truck lonnie was driving on june 8th did not enter the sandy road at any time if the family and the attorney of someone being charged for the crime were not allowed to view this the family understand the attorney Mm -hmm. I think that means the video surveillance didn't really show anything, right. you know. And so we know that Misty and Sarah left with Gabriel. We know they drove from Houston to Conroe. We do know that they pulled over off of T's Nursery in North Fraser. What we don't know from there is if Gabriel tried to rape one of them or it was an assault gone wrong or something and he beat both women and then burn their corpses we also don't know if there was a drug deal gone wrong right gabriel was indeed too scared of and i get that i i do I, it's I not do. to make it right but i get why he wouldn't yeah. want to be involved if that's really what happened i don't understand stealing from their corpses and not but checking you're a piece of shit. okay yeah that's you're true. gonna if you're not gonna try and help someone live i i wouldn't put it past you to steal their shit off that's, of them. that is true I feel like it's weird because, um, okay, so he says he was off in the woods, right? He he went to pee. Yeah. And then ran. feet is a far way to go pee. Well, and then ran further, right, mm-hmm. after he got, like, scared. And he said he stayed away for, like, 15 minutes. And I wrote, like, how, um, one, how did they find the girls if they were so far away into the woods? But that mm-hmm. was the whole, like, maybe they met up with each other. But he said that he waited about 15 minutes, right? So that was the time where they supposedly went and got, like, the bomb or the gas can or whatever mm-hmm. it was. That must be a pretty freaking close right. house. But if they're out in the woods, like, wouldn't that take a little bit longer? But then also, if they never, if this was never with their involvement, how, where did he go? Wouldn't there be footage or how did, what did he get to go blow the car up? How mm-hmm. did that happen? That's true. So either one, there was a close fucking gas station or a close whatever to go get the bomb or wherever they were staying. Or he left and then came back. And how would why would you risk leaving if you were worried that one of them might still have been alive? Why would you risk leaving if someone could stumble upon this crime scene? Yeah. Like, that doesn't make sense. Also, like, why would you, I don't know, lay your shit out for your sister to wash? Did they question the sister? Was the sister involved? They met the girls so. earlier in that night. Mm-hmm. So it's like, did they, did they corroborate his story to right. be like, no, we knew where he was. Like, I don't know. It's very, very fishy. 
I think I think it's a big combination, mm-hmm. but Cause only if, because of Kat's testimony. Exactly. But otherwise, I think he did it. But it still doesn't explain the time frame. Right. And and if like did it he take is the possible car and come back? I don't that know. police offered a, a plea deal and fed information, that's what Russell LaFleur said. He said that he was fed details of the crime and then threatened and coerced into implicating himself. Mm-hmm. So it is possible. We don't want to think that this is a thing. I don't want to, like, indict Conroe County or Montgomery County police on doing something. You can't indict anyone yourself. Whatever. I don't want to blame. I don't Uh, know. Allege. (laughs) Allege. Thank you. I don't want to allege that Montgomery County police possibly threaten, coerce, insinuate. (laughs) All all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to insinuate that, but it's not unheard of. Mm -hmm. So it is possible that details of the crime were fed but it also then why would the most obvious suspect like it's not as it's not obvious to me for three people to come up into a truck or come up in a truck to sell drugs that turns into a double murder and arson mm-hmm. that's not as plausible to me as the stranger they met at the club right. going into the woods with them and possibly murdering raping and burning them but it's also like these two different parties are connecting it's a perfect storm it is so i'm i also, don't know what to believe in this lonnie labonte's mother feels that he lafleur and kat brennan were all wrongfully accused and some convicted i don't get that I, how they don't have any evidence to go off they, of. and that's that's the big Nothing. thing they have no physical because evidence. of a bullshit teenager named kylie and they do not even have witness testimony because gabriel has said i could not pick them out of a lineup he did not see their faces he saw figures silhouettes exactly cat says kind of the same thing she didn't see what was happening she only heard and what what this said i went to like look again to make sure i wasn't wrong on that what lonnie labonte's mother said was in fact there were tracks of only two vehicles that there is proof drove down the road Misty Morgan's car and Officer Taylor's police vehicle. So there are no okay. tracks of a truck. So I was thinking that matched. The, or I anything. was thinking the truck. So maybe the drug deal was completed. But so there are only two tracks. It was, there wasn't another car, right? And it had just rained, so tracks would have been visible. Dang. So it's they. Uh, she very clearly thinks that Gabriel Saxton committed these crimes. And that her son and friends, known drug dealers, were easy targets. But also, wouldn't somebody who had just gotten out of jail be an easy target? Right. And who also is the only one who wasn't connected to these girls in any way? And maybe they just wanted to go out there and do some drugs and hang mm-hmm. out. And you're a fun guy. He thought they were going to fuck. And he decided to rape them. And it just went too far. And he didn't know how to handle the situation. You're all coked up. All that crap, but I don't... His, his timeline is very, very strange. His actions are very strange. How do you... What do you burn the car with? I'm so mm-hmm. lost. Like, it I mean, they sense. definitely had lighters because they were smoking pot. That doesn't... You need an incendiary device to burn a car to a certain extent and to, to could he burn have, bodies. Could he have siphoned gas somehow? Like, But what would you put it in? Right, exactly. You know, That's why I'm like, actually oh, have a gas can or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. It's like, Nobody I think it him. so clearly points to this guy, 
But it makes more sense for these people to go leave and come back with something like that. So it's a very interesting case. At the end of the day, though, 17-year-old Sarah Cleary and 19-year-old Misty Morgan died that night to, to, I want to make sure their names or their uh, ages are right. Yeah. Um, They died that night in kind of murky circumstances. A little bit about the victims. Our listener, Jill, worked with both of these women um or she she definitely worked with at least one and then knew one of the others something like that but sarah's parents established a scholarship in her honor and also in honor of her brother who did some awesome stuff at sam houston state university sarah cleary <laughs> was a 1997 magna cum laude oh. graduate of west westfield high school and the recipient of a schola- scholastic scholarship to LSU's honors program. So these girls were partying. They were having fun. They were being young girls. Mm -hmm. So that's in no way demeaning their character and saying that they brought any sort of harm onto themselves. They, we have all been in a party phase and they were the exact age to do that. They were both smart, Mm -hmm. friendly, nice. Um, In some things I read, they were, you know, Christian girls, whatever you want to say, like, these weren't high criminals. Risk girls. These, that's yeah. a good, yeah. These weren't high risk people mm-hmm. that got murdered. So this should not have happened to them. My one conclusion might be like, don't give, just don't take people home who don't. Don't ever get into a vehicle with someone you don't know. Yeah. There's really, Uber now. Because, well, that's exactly what we're saying. Don't get into a vehicle with someone you don't know. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. Just don't go to other locations. Don't let them drive. Don't. Just, just don't go don't. to the woods. No. Don't. Also, don't do don't drugs. Do drugs. In the woods, yeah. So. Like, I, I, but all in all, these girls did nothing that I have not done myself. So. And they were smart enough, even though I judge them for telling the neighbor, hey, if we don't come back, report us. But they like, said that. At least they did. Yeah. I mean, at least they're cautious enough mm-hmm. to know. I don't know. Yeah. It's. Very sad. And I hope I covered that well enough. Yeah, I, no, that was really good. Maybe ugh. it was because I didn't drink, so I was able to follow better. Maybe, yeah, because I feel like. <laughs> Normally I, I just write like random well. words of like my questions, but I have like full sentences with like huh. dashes next to them. Did we get to all your thoughts on yeah, this? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're done for the night. So Super depressing ugh. episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really hope you both join enjoyed this episode we um hope you both. Blah, blah, blah. what did i say both we because we both hope we both you. Hope. good <laughs> god i don't even feel tipsy it's just literally like i never want to stress and exhaustion again. and yeah hannah's gonna die <laughs> um but yeah please 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 rate review and subscribe like we mean it like the rate and review stuff. We were just kidding the other times, but yeah, we mean it this, this time, time we mean it. Um, but yeah, please, 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 please check out our social media. Um, we're gonna post photos related to these cases. You know, anything you need to know. Um, and as usual, links to our sources will be put in the show notes. If you guys want more information, we'll be back in two weeks with more Texas true crime. And if anyone's listening, happy, happy Halloween. Halloween. It's really off key <laughs> or whatever.